0: are on the line.
1: You're on the line with Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope it's going great for everyone out there listening. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Intern Belichick at the controls. Intern Sting hanging out in the studio as well. Noah Gardner up in Silicaga today. Noah, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, guys. How are all y'all doing?
1: Doing fantastic. All right, so so yesterday, we uh, we it was a fantastic show. If you haven't listened to it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It was a great episode, but normally on Wednesdays, we do a report Wednesday. We kind of break down schematically what the upcoming opponent for Auburn wants to do offensively, what they want to do uh, defensively, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then just a final evaluation of how we think Auburn matches up. Today we're going to do a report Thursday instead. We're going to take a look at the South Carolina Gamecocks, five and five on the year right now, searching for that sixth win to get to bowl bowl eligibility. Noah, what do we expect from South Carolina from a schematic standpoint? I'm just going to let you take off with it. Where do you want to start today?
2: This is one of the slowest offenses, believe it or not, that Auburn has played all season. Of course, it is going to be a major culture clash between Mississippi State and South Carolina over these last two weeks. Of course, Texas A&M was really slow-paced. Georgia was pretty slow-paced. But in terms of play count, this is one of the slowest-paced offenses that I've seen this year, if not the slowest. They only averaged 64.4 plays per game, With Marcus Satterfield at the helm as OC, this is a pro-style offense. That's what he dubbed it in the preseason. I don't think they've achieved quite what they've wanted to achieve out of the offense from a schematic perspective, but I think a lot of that's personnel-related and due to the fact that they're on to their third-string quarterback. And What I mean by that is Satterfield was very specific about what he wanted out of this offense at the start of the year. and He made the differentiation saying, This is not a West Coast offense, which I believe Auburn's offense represents or resembles a West Coast offense a lot more than what South Carolina's does. And he made the differentiation because he said he wanted to push the ball downfield a lot more than your prototypical West Coast pro-style offense would. And the West Coast game is more about getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. It's a little bit more about the short game, those spot routes, bootlegs to tight ends and whatnot basically what you've seen out of the Auburn passing game this year aside from a few shot plays here and there South Carolina wanted to move the ball more vertically into the intermediate and deep brackets at least more than what they've done this year they failed to do that a lot of that has to center around the quarterback position the revolving door that is there also by virtue of the fact that they don't have an offensive line that can protect for very long they don't really have the personnel on the offense to do What they want to do. But with time, I think they'll be able to get there. We've seen some bright spots for them. I think they pushed the ball down the field actually fairly well against Georgia earlier in this year, which kind of was maybe the area where you're thinking maybe someone can exploit that at some point this season, which nobody's actually been able to do that because of the Georgia front seven. But South Carolina is a team that wanted to do that. A ton of their quarterbacks got hurt. Now they're down to Jason Brown, and at this point, they're just trying to give him enough time to throw because everybody's coming after him.
1: You look at their uh, their plays per game, like you were mentioning, really slow football team. They average about sixty-three and a half plays a game, which is twelfth in the SEC. Again, like you said, just not not a very not a very fast-paced offensive team. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you with the way the injuries have gone so far this season and the way that they're just trying to figure things out, I would not expect them in year one to try and really hurry things up as they are still trying to figure out just a bunch of different things on the offensive side of the football. Talking about specifically concepts here and what we expect to see from them schematically, you look at their yearly play share. Like most teams in the SEC, inside zone read is their most popular play. It's also the most successful play that they run typically. It's either that or inside power. When it comes to throwing the football, Noah, you were talking about how they actually attack downfield relatively well. They either run spacing, which is curls and flats, or they run shot variations, which the most popular shot variation that they run is divide. And divide is essentially a divide route is essentially a seam read by the inside receiver that exploits soft area areas of cover two and three. It strains the defense vertically and opens up the smash routes or creates a, a, a big play downfield on its own the divide route reads the position of the safeties and takes advantage uh, of that downfield so like you were saying they attack downfield relatively well and their play share uh, reflects that
2: well divide forces a safety to make a decision to either cover the receiver that is running a deep end route or the smash portion of the route right or they have to go with the seam receiver that is running a go right and That's why you read the safety, because either the safety comes up to defend the smash. If the safety comes up to defend the outside receiver that's running the smash, then you have the shot over the top. Or if they stay back, there should be the ability for you to be able to hit the smash route up and over the intermediate portion of the zone defense if your receiver is able to get open on the initial cut against the outside cornerback. If they're running purely all zone coverage, though, You'll be able to read that safety. It creates that high-low matchup between the safety, whether it's the free or the strong safety, depending on which side of the field that you're on. It's going to create that high-low matchup that forces them to make the decision: am I covering deep or am I covering shallow? And if you've got a quarterback that can make that read quickly, then that can be such a deadly concept. South Carolina's done it fairly well this year. It's the base of the offense, but unfortunately for them, they are down to their third-string quarterback, Jason Brown, who look nobody expected him to be good of course when Doty went down with an injury in the preseason they didn't go with Jason Brown they went with a guy who wasn't even playing football at the time and Zeb Nolan he was a coach that'll kind of tell you about where this coaching staff viewed Jason Brown in the pecking order for the South Carolina offense even when it came to be his time they didn't want it to be his time or at least they wanted to try and find a better option and so When you look at some of the splits for Jason Brown right now in his short time of starting for South Carolina, he's been successful. I mean, he's gone one and one. He beat Florida really bad, and he barely lost to Missouri. But his individual play and his individual statistics in SEC play, this is the worst quarterback Auburn will have faced. Teams are coming after him. They're blitzing a ton. He's been blitzed on 41% of his dropbacks. Subsequently, that's also about the rate that South Carolina has is keeping him clean. They're only keeping him clean about 59% of the time. So when teams have blitz, they've also been able to get pressure on him, and he has not performed well against the blitz either. According to Pro Football Focus, he has gone 14 for 30 with 115 yards, 3.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns and one interception against the blitz. It's the 3.8 yards per attempt that kill me. Even when the pocket is clean, he's only averaging 6.7 yards per attempt. So he's really not even that good outside of the blitz. Of course, he's completing 71% of his passes when kept clean. So in the half of his dropbacks where he's not receiving pressure, he's been able to complete 71% of those passes. So I think there is the potential to dink and dunk Auburn, but it's a little bit different than what Mississippi State did last week because Will Rogers in the wide receiving core for Mississippi State is highly efficient. At Dinking and dunking whereas South Carolina is still averaging just the six point seven yards per attempt when they are dinking and dunking which is not good Auburn should be able to keep South Carolina in front of them pretty well in this game I don't expect the passing game to be much of a factor for South Carolina in this one unless Auburn plays a really pitiful game on the defensive side of the football which I don't think you can rule out at this point with the way that they played last week and if you consider motivation a factor
1: right to look at some of the numbers that you were talking about, there talking about South Carolina uh, being pressured. They're currently third in the SEC in the amount of pressure that they have they have allowed this season, and this is just an SEC play. The two teams, by the way, that are worse than them, LSU and Alabama. Alabama is the worst team in the SEC right now in conference play. And allowing pressure they're also south carolina is worst in the sec in negative play percentage and it's really held them back in 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 a few games this season in terms of trying to get the offensive momentum going also you noted the passing game how it's not necessarily going to be a factor because south carolina like you mentioned is in fact on their third string quarterback in jason brown you broke down his numbers but overall south carolina only averaging about 204 passing yards per game that's 13th in the sec yards per pass in the sec 6.1 i mean offensively south carolina there 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 are a lot of negative plays that are stalling drives and even when when they do get different things going at the end of the day offensively it's just not been enough to get over the hump against some of these more talented teams, but I will say something that you mentioned is there is the ability for South Carolina to kind of dink and dunk Auburn based on the concepts that they run. You also, we were talking earlier about the uh, the, the shot variations, but also something else I noted that I didn't really talk about a more popular concept for them is throwing into the curls and into the, into the flats just to get little little bits of yardage so that's something that South Carolina could do they could dink and dunk auburn and like you also mentioned no, n- mentioned noah uh, auburn uh, could be susceptible to a really bad defensive performance because we saw one last weekend And something else that you brought up was a really good point is how badly does South Carolina want to win this game to get to bowl eligibility, and how badly does Auburn want to win this game, knowing that they're playing with their backup quarterback in the season is not necessarily forfeit, but it's not going to end, at least it doesn't seem like it, in the way that a lot of people thought it would.
2: I'll say this about South Carolina and the wonderful coaching job that Shane Beamer has done with his team. In the preseason, we were evaluating South Carolina and Vanderbilt in the bottom of the SEC East, which is the bottom of the entire conference in my mind. And you and I were saying and we were noticing that South Carolina talent-wise really isn't that much better than Vanderbilt. They really weren't that far from finishing at the bottom of the league. And when you look at this team statistically, and you were just breaking down a lot of numbers on offense, they're 13th in a lot of categories 12th in a lot of categories they're not doing well and the only team that's below them in a lot of those rankings would be Vanderbilt but look at the record difference South Carolina's five and five has a chance to get to bowl eligibility I don't think they'll do it mainly because I don't think this offense has the weapons or the tools to beat Auburn and Clemson over the next two weeks now if they have A motivational, inspirational performance against one of these two teams. Auburn and Clemson are certainly beatable, 100%. I'm not ruling it out that Auburn loses this weekend in Columbia, but really what I'm trying to say right here is look at the coaching job Clark Lee has done at Vanderbilt within the same ballpark, similar kind of talent if not a better quarterback situation coming into this year with Ken Seals and the way he ended last season under Derek Mason, you and I were talking about the possibility that Vanderbilt could maybe pull off a couple of victories this season when in fact Vanderbilt has been horrible this year. We were wrong a little bit on Vanderbilt. I think we were right in our evaluation of South Carolina as far as talent is concerned, but this coaching staff has done an amazing job with this team And I'm not shocked that Shane Beamer's name has come up as a potential candidate at a place like Virginia Tech because of what he's doing with the cupboard being very, very bare at South Carolina. South Carolina is not a good football team. They are a bad football team. They have done nothing this season, warranting respect to be called a good football team, but they have played ridiculously hard and they are winning football games and have put themselves in a position to get to a bowl game, whereas statistically, they look like they have no business being there.
1: And I think you got to look at this schedule and and, and and look at the teams that they've beaten and and just say the schedule lined up in a, in a way where they could have possibly gotten to a bowl game, regardless of how bad their statistics, uh, statistics were. I mean, they've beaten Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Troy, Vanderbilt, and then Florida just a couple of weeks ago. And that Florida game was not it was not supposed to, at least according to preseason projections, go the way that it did but South Carolina, like you mentioned, is playing incredibly hard, and Dan Mullen's team obviously uh, is not showing up to play football over the, these past few weeks, and South Carolina won that game. and then they Florida the- was 18-point favorites. Exactly. It, it, so, and then you look at the next week. I mean, Missouri uh, was at home against South Carolina, and South Carolina, despite all their offensive ineptitude, gave them a run for their money. And it looks like in this game, with Auburn's backup quarterback playing, without a kicker, uh, a starting kicker for Auburn and with all of the just the negative emotions I feel like that are that are surrounding the Auburn fan base right now just the worry for me personally about how this game could go I mean South Carolina could view this as just another opportunity to say okay we are the grittier team we really want this badly let's go out there regardless of how bad our statistics may be let's go out there and just find a way to get a win and that's something that they've done a lot this season is just find a way to win regardless of of whatever it takes so like you mentioned I'm impressed with this team Uh, from a coaching standpoint I'm impressed with what Shane Beamer's been able to do and it's uh it's very similar to the way that I, I viewed Auburn two weeks ago which is if they can recruit better then I think overall they're going to have a much better shot to contend in their division in the SEC South Carolina right now you're looking at them if they can just recruit a little bit better this coaching staff looks like they can take them a long way in the future
2: Auburn fans should go into this game cautiously optimistic I like the matchup and we'll detail why I like the matchup as the show goes on as we're doing our report Thursday today on the South Carolina Gamecocks But I look at the last two games and the two types of teams that South Carolina has played. And on the one hand, I see the fact that those two teams are struggling tremendously on defense. Florida fired their defense coordinator after giving up 40 to South Carolina. Missouri has been one of the worst defensive teams in all of college football all year long. And South Carolina has been able to score against those teams. But those teams don't have the same type of defensive talent. Maybe Florida does from a recruiting standpoint, but they're not playing like it. All the punchlines and jokes about the Auburn defense, what they did this past week, put all that aside, look at the entire product that they've had this year and look at the talent that they've got on defense and how that talent has played across the entire season. Last week was egregious, no excuses. My dad said it to me really well yesterday. I loved this, and I'm going to carry this quote right here. My dad said that watching the game on Saturday was like watching a bank robbery and a cop was there to watch it happen, but didn't stop it. And so I added to that saying that Saturday's game against Mississippi State, we all know what happened and we know why it happened, but we can't explain why the coaching staff allowed it to happen. Right. right? Similar to the bank robbery analogy here. Yeah, we know what happened. The bank got robbed. But what we can't explain is why they let him rob it. You know, he was there. So that's kind of the reason why I think folks should be cautious going into this game is where is the locker room at? Where is their focus at? Where is their motivation at? And from everything that we have heard this week from media availability is that they're locked in. But we know without a doubt, South Carolina's locked in. And they know Auburn's vulnerable and they're going to try and go out and pull an upset this would be an upset without a doubt if South Carolina beats Auburn it's an upset but I think this falls into a different category of game for them than them playing Florida or Missouri because Auburn's got players on defense they've got Papo they've got McLean they've got Wooten at that linebacker core which I think are the x factors in this game from a defensive standpoint which makes me feel so comfortable about Auburn's ability to stop what South Carolina wants to do on offense because they're going to try and line up they're going to try and establish the run and they're not going to be able to do it and then I don't think this passing game is going to be a factor not because Auburn's secondary is great but because South Carolina's passing game regardless of who they're playing is going to be bad
1: we're going to go ahead and take a quick break stick with us Specter. we'll get to your phone call on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line Back on, on the line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 in Foxport, Central Alabama. If you want to call into the show, 334 321 1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334 564 1840. Let's go ahead and get to the phone lines now. Inspector is on the line with us. Hey, Spectre, how you doing? Noah, I like that
2: analogy. <laughs> it wasn't mine. I got to give it to my dad on that one. Me and him had about an hour long conversation yesterday. And let me tell you, he ain't happy. And uh, I totally understand why. I
3: guess the cop is Derek Mason, right? Uh, un- uh,
2: unfortunately, we were talking about the defense. Yes.
3: <laughs> well, not, well, all fairness to, to Derek Mason, there were other cops there, too, on the defense.
2: And a head coach, if that's what you're talking about. The
3: sheriff was there as well. I've got a question for you and your dad. Now, would the police commissioner fire
2: that cop, you think? Uh, You know, if this truly was a bank robbery, yes. But it is football. So I think that's where we have to draw the line there, Specter. I don't know. I think a lot of folks would like to see that move made. I still, and, and me and him did have that conversation also, where I basically said, I'm looking at the entire season, and Saturday, and Lance and I talked about this yesterday, Saturday was egregious. We've seen coaches fired for that if that was the last game of the season. But statistically, breaking down this year compared to last year, Derek Mason has done better than what Kevin Steele did last year with with the exact same players, and I think that has to count for something. The defense did get better this season. Yeah, uh,
3: Then you just – Moments ago, say that that happened at Florida. Defensive coordinator got fired after the South Carolina game.
2: He did. Yep.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I look at it this way: football, baseball. You know, a job's a job, and if you fail at it, you know, what's the point of keeping you? Yeah, I agree with you though, on one on one point though. Uh, the players have kept Mason in the game, I believe.
2: And I think he's done a good job in some games this season, like the Ole Miss game and the Arkansas game. I I think he did fine against Penn State aside from the pass defense in the Penn State game was bad, but it's not like they let Penn State score all over him either. Like I think the overall product this year has been good at times and bad at times. I understand everybody's frustration with the pass defense because it is – death by a thousand cuts. And that's what Mississippi State did. So I get it.
3: Yeah. You know, I've said this before. Uh, I believe he's going to be retained throughout the season. And depending on what he does, his last two games. And uh, (laughs) again, you have to judge what's going on, what happens with the offense, not just with the defense, because the offense is really going to be in dire straits now. So it's that's not gonna be on the defense's part. Now. They do their job, they hold uh South Carolina to so many points and we end up winning the game ten to seven, you know.
2: So kudos to Mason for that. Yeah, and it's definitely a it's a different target now and it's a different expectation with all of the injuries that you're talking about. It definitely changes the perspective of what a successful season is this year compared to what it was two weeks ago so i'm with you there appreciate the phone call specter thank you
1: that was specter on the line with us and yeah i I, uh i like what he said there about mason and just asking would you would you let go of the cop uh if if he was not not performing it's got
2: me there that That does make a lot of sense if a cop let a bank robber rob a bank you'd fire the cop
1: right (laughs) Interesting, interesting call from Inspector. Let's get back to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390, and Ed is on the line with us. What's going on, Ed?
4: I'm doing good. Y'all still want to yell at me about how Auburn is going to romp on Texas A&M. This is the first time y'all have taken my call, so I guess y'all want to tell me about that.
2: No, Ed, we've been taking your call. You've hung up a few times before we've been able to get you back on air, but we appreciate you calling you in. What do you got some thoughts on sports going on today? We're not going to talk about what happened a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we'll talk about the A&M game with you, but what are your thoughts on what's going on with the Auburn team right now?
4: Well, Hush, and I'll tell you, okay, first off, as far as them having problems with South Carolina this weekend, that ain't going to happen. They're not going to have any problems with South Carolina this weekend. As far as – you know, really, after what you just said, I, you know, I don't even know that you guys are intelligent enough to even reason with. You had a guy on the other day, Troy or something, that y'all just sat there and agreed with that Bama is in bad shape because of debt, And y'all sat there and just listened to it and just ate into it. You guys are freaking beyond the dumb.
2: Well, Ed, we appreciate your phone call. Um, we're sorry that... You disagree with us and that we're too unintelligent to have a conversation with. And if that's the case, then we'll just have to hang up the phone right now and continue on with our uh, incorrect conversation. We appreciate the phone call, Ed. Uh, we also didn't have a Troy on this week. We had uh, Jeremy Law, if that's who he's referring to when we were talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide, which from a depth perspective on the O-line, it's not going too well. It's not going too well, as you read out earlier, Lance they are in the bottom of the SEC in terms of allowing pressure and it's not hard to look at Alabama's offensive line right now and see the issues that they've got going on
1: yeah they are literally quite literally you can't argue with statistics i'm not the one i apologize if the way that i convey statistics is unintelligent but the sack percentage in the SEC Alabama is is fifth worst and the pressure rate in conference play that, is the, the, that means the, allow, the amount of times that pressure has been allowed on a quarterback Alabama is last so Bryce Young has been able to escape occasionally because obviously Alabama's sack percentage is not as, as bad as their pressure rate but they have been allowing quite a bit of pressure and the statistics reflect that so if it's a depth issue Uh, sure if it's just a lack of talent issue sure i don't care what it is on the offensive line the fact of the matter is the offensive line is not playing as well as they should be because it's alabama so i don't i don't necessarily understand what his point was there um but but you know it's it the way i view it alabama's offensive line has not been performing well this season and it could be a mixture of issues
2: and about auburn um I'm with that. I think Auburn's going to win this weekend. I don't know if we're not going to have any trouble. Of course, you got a backup quarterback going out there and a backup kicker, so I'm not going to go as far as to say that Auburn's not going to have any trouble this weekend. South Carolina's playing extremely motivated as opposed to Auburn. I don't know what Auburn's motivation is like going into this game. They may be incredibly motivated and play incredibly hard, but I think that it is fair to leave the door open that Auburn could get upset this weekend because we have seen crazier things and I would say that 40 unanswered points last week was crazy
1: yeah if you thought the game against Mississippi State was any indication as to how the rest of the season for Auburn can go you would be correct I'm leaving the door open for an upset as well let's take a quick break and on the other side we've got Christian Clemente of auburnsports.com
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. We are now pleased to be joined by Christian Clemente, of auburnsports.com christian how are you doing today
5: i'm doing good i wish i was in the studio with you guys a little bit but you know travel plans with south carolina changed things a little bit so i'm happy to happy to hop on the phone here for a little bit
1: well let's talk a little bit about this quarterback situation obviously tj finley uh is going to be starting for for auburn this weekend what do you expect to see out of finley and what do you expect to see out of the auburn offense this weekend
5: You know, my concerns for the Auburn offense this weekend are very high, and that is not me disbelieving in T.J. Finley. I think he's a pretty good quarterback, and I think under the right circumstances, he could be a really good quarterback. But the circumstances he's walking into are a subpar offensive line, and I think that offensive line looks a little bit better, partially because of Bo Nix and his running ability, which T.J. Finley does not have. So that's a concern. He's going into a situation with wide receivers that have been very inconsistent throughout the year. And somehow, despite having Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, he's going into a situation where they cannot run the ball. So I don't have a lot of expectations for the offense this weekend. I I don't think South Carolina is incredible by any means. I've been very critical of them all year, but I I just don't know where this offense is going to be at this weekend. I don't have a lot of high hopes for it.
2: Do you expect- what do you think the offense is going to look like with T.J. Finley? Do you expect the passing game to shift at all, or do you think they're going to keep trucking along just like they've been doing all year?
5: Uh, I think it's going to be very similar to what we've seen all year. Um, Bo Nix likes throwing. You'll see a couple changes. You know, Bo likes some rollout plays. T.J. Finley does not like to roll out, and he likes to stand in the pocket. So you're probably going to see those mostly eliminated. Um TJ likes to throw it middle and in a little bit more, maybe like 10 yards or so. Bo likes to throw it more of out routes and stuff like that. So you'll see some small changes, but I would expect it to be roughly the same.
1: What do you expect to see out of this defense? Obviously, Owen Papo is back for this team South Carolina offensively inept in a lot of different areas. We've been breaking that down on the show so far. Do you expect this, this Auburn defense, even though it might be a little deflated after what happened last weekend, do you expect them to hold their own?
5: You know, I think a lot of it is going to come down to Derek Mason's scheme and what they're going to be able to do this weekend. Um, I mean, we've seen it a couple times this year when they only rush three, it doesn't matter who the other quarterback and the other receivers are. You're not going to be able to get pressure, and eventually the coverage is going to fail. I mean, that's just how it goes. Auburn has an incredible secondary in some of the best corners out there, but they can only cover for so long. So if Derek Mason doesn't adapt his game plan and he just rushes three all day like he did against Mississippi State, I mean, I think we're going to see the same result. But if Derek Mason is able to make some changes, rush four, and every once in a while mix in a blitz here and there, I think this defense will be fine and they'll be be able to hold their own against South Carolina.
2: Of course, talking about the motivation factor in this game, and I'm of the mind that Auburn's going to enter the game motivated, so I'm trying to take that out of the equation, but I'm also not fully ruling out that Auburn could come out flat. I want to know what your thoughts are based off of hearing these players talk, hearing these coaches talk. What kind of week of practice do you think they're having? I know you're not there, but – What kind of week do you think these guys are having from a motivation and headspace perspective after giving up 40 unanswered? Because we know that South Carolina is going to come into this game motivated. Now, will that motivation overrule talent? Probably not, but they're trying to get the ball eligibility.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fantastic question. Um, I think they're going to be pretty motivated. I don't think this is a coaching staff, nor do I think these are players that are just going to give up and throw in the towel and these guys also really like TJ, not that they dislike Bo, but they like TJ and they want to rally behind him and do something and try and you know, perform in his first start. My concern would be if one thing goes wrong, you know, TJ throws a pick, the ball gets fumbled, uh, the defense gives up a big play. You know, If one thing goes wrong, what happens to their headspace then? Are they going to crumble because of the Texas A&M and the Mississippi State game? or are they going to be able to stay mentally strong and stay in the game? So I think that'll be something to look out for on Saturday.
1: South Carolina giving up about 200 rushing yards per game in SEC play. Auburn averaging about 177 rushing yards per game in SEC play. With a backup quarterback, do you expect Auburn to try and run the ball a little bit? And I'll give you an over-under here. Over-under, 180 yards rushing for the Tigers.
5: Um, I'm probably going to go under there because I've been massively – disappointed in the Auburn running game so far this year like I said earlier when you have Tank Bigsby when you have Jarquez Hunter I mean even Sean Shivers is pretty effective in certain scenarios they have all these guys and the running game has just been disappointing this year they haven't really been able to get it going um, Tank had a good game against Old Miss but outside of that Tank hasn't had an incredible season um, they were extremely limited against Mississippi State they couldn't really get anything going against Texas A&M the offensive line, which, it, it, it's weird to me. They were good last year. I would say they were pretty good last year in run blocking, to be honest. And this year, they're just not good at run blocking. They're a decent pass pro offensive line, but they just kind of flipped this year, which is very weird to me. Some of that can be attributed to the different running schemes and other things that they're, that they're running, but I just don't know if this running attack is going to be able to get going. Um you know, going into the Arkansas game, Arkansas gave up a ton of rushing yards and Auburn couldn't run the ball there, and they had to rely on bonix to win that game. So just because South Carolina's run defense is bad doesn't necessarily mean, in my mind, that Auburn's going to be able to get the running game going again because I have yet to see it so far this year.
2: And we asked Justin Ferguson a similar question yesterday, and I didn't ask it right, and so I'm going to rephrase it in a different way here we know they're going to like try and fix it and try and jumpstart the running game. But, and you're talking about the differences between last year and this year and whatnot with the O-line and they have moved some guys around. Two guys aren't even starting anymore. And Tayshon Manning and Alec Jackson. So some of the personnel has shifted, but a lot of it probably has to do with scheme and they are being asked to do a lot more this year in terms of run blocking with their different run blocking looks. But, do we expect them to actually really change from that at this point in the year? Do we expect them to actually really change what they're calling? Because I get the vibe that this coaching staff pretty stubborn and what you see is what you get.
5: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think maybe they'll have a couple small little wrinkles that they'll change, but I mean, I think the running game is, it, it is what it is at this point. It's not, that good for auburn which is kind of crazy to say now when you think about in the preseason and what we were talking about then but i think the biggest change for the rest of the season will be the passing game and how they're going to adapt that with tj finley because it'll it'll be very interesting i think tj finley is a very good quarterback but i feel like he needs a solid running game especially with the situation at auburn to be good and so far that running game hasn't been solid so we'll just have to see what happens this weekend
1: what do you expect to see out of the special teams unit? Obviously, a point of emphasis a couple of weeks ago was to cut down on the penalties. Auburn was not able to do that against Mississippi State. And then also, without Anders Carlson, what do you expect the kicking game to look like specifically inside special teams?
5: Yeah, I mean, that is the special teams penalties have been an issue for it feels like a while now. The punt return has been interesting, I guess I would say. Demetrius Robertson had the one fumble, and then there's been a couple times where. He's fielded a punt off a of bounce where it's like, you should probably just get out of the way here. So the special teams has definitely not been, not been up to Brian Harsin's standards, especially because he talks so much about wanting to have good special teams. You know, as for the kicker, I guess I would expect it to be Ben Patton because he was the backup behind Anders Carlson, um, and he is listed as a starter on the depth chart. Now, with that said, you do have an interesting scenario here where Ben Patton is a lefty and uh, the other kicker, Evan McGuire, Is a right uh, footed kicker. So if a ball was on a certain hash mark, you could theoretically use both of these kickers because I think they're probably about the same in skill level. So you could mix and match them a little bit throughout the game, which is something that Auburn might look to do on Saturday.
2: Question about the backup quarterback because as I've mulled this over more and more, and of course everybody tweeted out, and I think you even mentioned this on your Twitter account yesterday, that Brian Harson has noted in the past that these paper depth charts don't really mean anything, but I believe that if TJ Finley wasn't playing well, or if he went down with an injury that grant Lloyd would trot out there. Is, is that where you're at? Or do you think it would be somebody else?
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the space for now, which personally I disagree with it. Um, I feel like you have nothing to lose. If TJ Finley were to go down with an injury or if he were to struggle, if I put it in Demetrius Davis. I mean, he, he'll still be able to register this year, and he's a more talented quarterback than Grant Loy, with all due respect to Grant Loy. So you have nothing to lose by just throwing him out there and just seeing what happens. I mean, that's kind of the quarterback he is. He's a quarterback that you just, you know, you throw him under the... He might not be that great in practice, but you throw him under the lights and just say, alright, go and play, and he'll go out there and make some plays. So if it were me and something were to happen with TJ, I would go Demetrius Davis, but I think it's going to be Grant Loy. I agree with you there.
1: What is your final score prediction for this game, and how do you see it playing out?
5: You know, I've gone back and forth on this one a lot, and you've probably gotten the tone throughout this call that I'm not very high on Auburn going into this game. So I'm actually picking South Carolina, and I picked them to win 17-14. to 14. Um, I don't think this is going to be a very entertaining game for anybody to watch. I don't think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a very ugly game. I don't know what the Auburn offense is going to be able to get going. I just – I don't know where this team's head is at. I think they'll be motivated. But like I said, what happens when one thing goes wrong? Are they going to crumble? And th- that's what I'm really concerned about. So I'll take South Carolina to win it in a super close one.
2: We're a month and a week from early signing day. Where's Auburn recruiting at right now? I know you and I had talked over a month ago probably. I can't believe it's already been that long about potential flips. Where's Auburn recruiting standing right now as they try and make a climb in some of these recruiting rankings with a month and a week left until Penn hits paper?
5: Yeah. So I think they're still in a good spot and the Iron Bowl weekend is going to be fantastic for them. They're going to be able to get a ton of these guys down here. You know, we talked about some flip candidates, Jadarian rim, the LSU cornerback commit. They're still pushing really hard for Trevante citizen, the LSU running back commit. I think that one's going to be a little bit tougher, but still trying there um they're going after robert woodyard the alabama linebacker commit and i've said for a while now i think he ends up at auburn which would be a fantastic flip for auburn just kind of are these like signing day flips
2: or are they flips that would happen before signing day
5: uh i believe these would probably be around signing day if they would be on signing day or very close to them i know woodyard would probably be on signing day um but jadarian rim will be around that range And Rim is an official visitor for the Iron Bowl as well. So there's still some flip candidates that they want. They're trying to get a Georgia five-star defensive tackle, Tyre West. Um, And then there's a couple of names we've started to hear that there's some guys that they're keeping pretty quiet. Even I don't know some of these names, but they're keeping them really quiet. And they're going to be in heavy pursuit of them. And I think they might have a decent chance to get them going into signing day. So this class still has top 15 potential. I think it'll be closer to the 20 to 25 range. But once it's all said and done, I think this staff will have done a pretty good job with this recruiting class considering where it once stood.
2: One more That's question. a change in tone.
5: Yeah. No, I think, I don't know if I'm, I don't, you know, the traffic light, I don't know if I would give it a green light, but I think it would be very closely approaching that. I think they've done a good job.
1: One more question here, and then we'll let you get out. Auburn playing South Florida in basketball tomorrow. What are your thoughts on that matchup?
5: Yeah, I mean, no matter what happens in the game for me, I just think it's a fantastic game for Auburn because they're playing in Amalie Arena where the SEC tournament is being held. And we talked about this, I mean, like when the game got announced in the summer, and I just think it's a brilliant scheduling decision for them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this team responds. They've already gone through some early adversity, you know. They were struggling against Southern Indiana, and then you look at the season opener against Moorhead State, and they went through a second-half lull, so they know what that's like the ULM game, they learned what it's like to come out slow, so they're learning these different lessons as the season goes on and this young, not inexperienced but they don't have a ton of chemistry yet, this young team that doesn't have a ton of chemistry, they're starting to learn these different things and this will just be the next big learning opportunity for them. What's it going to take to go on the road and beat a decent USF team? And I think they'll be able to do that, but it'll be interesting to see how they come out and how the full game uh, folds out.
1: Christian, we really appreciate you taking the time to stop by and talk with us. Tell everybody where they can find all of your great content.
5: Yeah, so it's over at AuburnSports.com and then along with uh, over on Twitter, at Cclemente underscore.
1: Christian, we really appreciate it. Hope you have a great rest of your afternoon, man.
5: Thank you. You guys as well.
1: That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com stopping by to talk with us. We will continue more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On The Line, Lance Stahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. i got about five minutes left in this segment here before we wrap up our number one. It's been a great show so far. If you've missed any of it, you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Noah, before we wrap up the show, let's talk about what's happening in the sports world on television tonight. Obviously, some fantastic games in basketball yesterday, some upsets. You casually mentioned that George Mason might be a pretty good basketball team. They went and beat number 20 Maryland. What's going on uh, in the basketball realm tonight?
2: I'll get to basketball in a second, but first I want to make a note that my ESPN app wants to hurt me. It says at the very top of my app on one of the stories, it says the most heartbreaking loss for all 32 NFL teams. Browns fans have been hurt a lot, but which one stands out the most? Why we sing out the Browns? <laughs> why? That's why? we got to sing out the Browns? And you know why we get, why, why do we have to sing out the Browns? Why am I bringing that up? Because tonight, in NFL football, is the infamous rematch of the Super Bowl 28 to three implosion of the Atlanta Falcons. New England Patriots, Atlanta Falcons tonight, Thursday night football, 720, Fox NFL Network, Patriots favored by six and a half.
1: Do you think they cover?
2: Yeah, I think they got a really good shot, too. That's a big line in NFL football, especially at this point in the year for a four and five team hosting a six and four football team for you to be dogs at your own place by six and a half points. Mac Jones is playing really well. They're on a four game winning streak. The Pats have beaten the Browns, the Panthers, the Chargers, and the Jets. Two of those teams are – one of those teams is good. Another one of those teams are decent, and two of those teams are not very good, one of which is getting better, though, the Panthers. So the Browns are decent. The Chargers are a good football team at least most of the weekend. So I think this is going to be a bad game for the Falcons at home. But then again, it's Thursday night, and you never know what happens on short weeks. So, but I would expect the Patriots go in and handle business. Mac Jones is playing some really good football right now. As far as college football is concerned tonight, Louisville and Duke play that's at 6 30 PM on ESPN. Louisville is 20 point favorites over Duke. Louisville is five and five on the year trying to get the bowl eligibility. That's what's significant about this ACC game. Other than that, this is probably not going to be an excellent football game. You might have more fun watching the NFL game tonight or college basketball. Louisville just came off of a 41-3 win over Syracuse, so this may be rather lopsided. I think we're going to see Louisville getting bowling right here and then that Kentucky game, if they could beat Kentucky in the last game of the season, that would just be icing for them on a decent year and a bounce-back year after what was disappointing last season. Um, College basketball tonight. Right now, 22nd-ranked St. Bonaventure is locked in a battle with Boise State in the Shriners-Childrens-Charleston Classic. That's got 3 minutes 11 seconds left in the second half. ESPN2 Bonaventure up 63 to 61. I've been seeing a lot of basketball pundits out there saying that this stretch of games in this preseason tournament for St. Bonaventure, these games are going to affect them in the postseason as far as seeding is concerned. Honestly, if they're a bubble team, these games could be the decider of whether or not they make the postseason. Teams like St. Bonaventure, these games matter.
1: Absolutely. And whenever you're playing a team like Boise State, it definitely does matter. Uh, you look at the rest of their non-conference slate. Well, the, the the most important game I think they've got coming up after this is Northern Iowa, and I know that they just lost to Arkansas last night, Close. but I believe they hit 17 threes. Uh, did Northern Iowa? So that's that's a team that if you're if you're able to beat that, that's a uh, pretty pretty impre- impressive win on your resume, at least for a team like Saint Bonaventure. Uh, you're looking around college basketball tonight number 19 Ohio State taking on undefeated Xavier that's at 5:30 p.m on FS1 looking at some of the other games here the Myrtle Beach Invitational ECU Oklahoma at six any Marquette other game Ole Miss yeah, that
2: should be a fantastic game right there Marquette beat Illinois last week or earlier this week rather excuse me that one's also in the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic which is what I was bringing up with Say Bonaventure is like you know there are some good teams. Clemson and Temple are also in that tournament. That Marquette Ole Miss game, two undefeated, 6 p.m. ESPN2. Ole Miss is favored by three and a half. As well as another Gavit tip-off game is Rutgers and DePaul at 7.30 on FS1. And DePaul's in a lot better of a place as far as their program is concerned and the Big East that it has been in recent years. And the same can be said about Rutgers. That could end up being a pretty good basketball game.
1: Also, just ran- random side note about the uh, the Duke-Louisville bat- or football game. rather. Malik Cunningham, the Louisville quarterback, thirteen touchdowns, five interceptions passing on the year, but he's got sixteen rushing touchdowns. Sixteen rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. He's uh, pulling up. Who was the uh, who was the player for Navy a couple years ago uh, that broke the uh, FBS scoring record? the quarterback i forget his Kenan name Kenan reynolds. reynolds reynolds yeah he's trying to pull a keenan reynolds this season and just racking up all the rushing touchdowns that he possibly can I was
2: And duke just... on the other end is trying to uh break a record of giving up rushing touchdowns
1: hey there we go so could be interesting one more game real quick uab undefeated on the road at south carolina south carolina is only favored by three points come on blazers all right that's going to do it for hour number one of on the line hour number two coming up in just a moment
0: Or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Hour
1: number two of On the Line. Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com stopping by in the first hour, predicting Auburn to lose this weekend. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390. And let's get to the phone lines now. And Travis is on the line with us. Hey, Travis, how's it going?
4: Been better, guys. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, mean, I fear that. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, I guess, that, you know, there is one positive thing I want to say is, is that Bo Nix, this guy, he led a touchdown drive on a broken ankle. And to me, that, that's some Tim Tebow type stuff. You know, Tim Tebow broke his leg in high school, continued to play in the game. Just a, a, a gutsy performance by him. And really, if you think about it, a gutsy season all the way around. I know this this guy is criticized more than anybody else on the field. But that kid is a, he's a true Auburn man. He gives his all for the Auburn program, the Auburn family. And you can't take that away from him. And, you know, as far as Auburn goes, there's no there's no guy that you want, there's no other quarterback that you want running your program than a kid that, you know, grew up an Auburn fan. He, he's die hard. He bleeds orange and blue. Uh, this poor kid's running for his life every play. And he was still able to put together some highlights. I mean, you know, 2021 Auburn, you know, that highlight them, 90% of the plays are going to be Bo Nix.
2: I 100% agree with that. You know, it's interesting. When Auburn loses, it's Bonix's fault, at least from the public perspective. I'm not saying that's the way I view it. I'm just saying that people blame him. But when Auburn wins, he doesn't receive his fair share of credit.
4: Correct. Right. Yeah, and, you know, to get, to get to some of the negatives, and I know there's a boatload of them, and I, won't, I try not to harp too much, but after the Ole Miss game, Harsin was was, quote, building a culture. And that's all I saw. All you saw on Twitter, Harson's doing this, you know, the culture, the culture, the culture. And, you know, since then we played a game where we didn't even score an offensive touchdown and then a game where we give up 40 in a row and lose the game. What's the culture of the program now? Is it heading in the right direction? Because, you know, if you break it down, the Ole Miss game kind of seems like a fluke we, with them having about four offensive starters out, and then a, a gimpy quarterback for the second half, and then. Uh, a moron coach who wouldn't even kick field goals. And I I think we were extremely lucky to win that game. You know, we're some some dumb kissing coaching decisions away from being five and five.
2: The motivation of the team right now, my vibe, at least from the media availability this week, and they're not going to get in front of the mic and say that things are going bad, but I think the team is still locked in and still practicing hard and still playing hard because individually a lot of these players – they may be asked to leave, not in the fact that they that the coaching staff doesn't want them here, but they may recruit over their heads this offseason to get some new guys in. So I think they're playing for their jobs too right now, even more so than, than just the team as well. I, I think they're still playing for the team, and they're still playing for a good ending of the season, but I also think their jobs are on the line, and I think they've been on the line all year long. So I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn goes out there and plays really hard on Saturday, but I also think it is fair to question where the team's headspace is at it could not be there you never know if Auburn goes out there and lays it flat but the answer to your question I'll say we've been here before this year we were wondering about this after the Georgia State game and they responded in the LSU game and they went out there and won a big football game in a place where they hadn't won in over 20 years and that game was the turning point of the season maybe just maybe even with their backs against the wall and a ton of injuries they respond again and that'll give you the answer about this culture If they respond and they play hard and they look good and they win convincingly, beat them 40-17, to which I don't know if that'll happen, but say they did, then we're going into the Alabama game not thinking that we're going to win, but at least we feel better about where the culture is at and that Auburn could win their bowl game, right? And so I I don't think we – I think it would be best for us just to wait to see how they look this weekend, and then we can maybe start drawing some conclusions about how this team's going to finish.
4: I mean, yeah, I mean, regarding that that Mississippi State game, we got we had a lot of recruits and attendance that we need to commit. So I hope I hope that all of them got the hell out of the stadium with about five minutes ago in the first half before the students disappeared. Then the team decided to go all Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl on it. <laughs> but uh, guys, you know, the last two weeks we've been scored seventeen to nothing and thirty three to six in the second half of those two ball games. What that tells me is that this coaching staff. Does an incredible job of preparation for the game, but they're borderline incompetent and making end game adjustments. And you got to be able to do both. That separates the good coaches from the great ones who can kind of, you know, adjust on the fly and stop what you're doing and have a counterattack for it. And it, it doesn't seem like Derek Mason and Mike Bobo can do that.
2: I've said this a little bit about Mike Bobo. I don't know if I've said it on the show yet, but it seems to me that he's really good on a script. But when it gets off the script, the offense gets a little vanilla. I haven't loved some of the things that have happened later into halves than the first 15 plays of each half because I'm with you. I think the team prepares really well for teams, which is awesome because I don't know if the previous coaching staff prepared as well as this coaching staff does. They do a great job scouting and formulating a game plan, but I think there have been some failures this year. I think that's a fair assessment to say there have been some failures when things have gotten off script.
4: And, uh, you know, my my really, guys, my only point about the South Carolina game is it's on the road. It's a night game. And this is something that not a lot of people are talking about. And to me, I think crowd noise is huge. And I think, especially in college sports, I mean, college football and college basketball, probably the two biggest sports when it comes to to home field or home court advantage that you can have in all the sports. And, uh, you know, TJ's never started a game in a full stadium. Uh, You know, he came in against Georgia State, but. Whenever he was starting for LSU last year, it was in those whatever 20 percent capacities, and uh, so you know if their crowd is hyped up, ready to go, um, I think this weekend may be very difficult if we cannot run the ball. Now you know South Carolina, they're not great against the run; they ranked like ninetieth in the country. I saw the other day. Um, so if we can if we can get some uh, if we can get some some yardage on the ground and really help him out and give him the easy throws, I think we got a chance.
2: I don't disagree with you. T.J. Finley is the type of quarterback that doesn't need to be running for his life, and although he looked pretty good against Georgia State doing it, I don't know if he'll look good against an SEC team doing it, regardless of how bad South Carolina is or how low of talent they are in this SEC compared to other teams on Auburn's schedule this year, and I think they need the running game to make things easier on him. If Auburn can establish a running game over these final two games, I don't think T.J. Finley will play bad, and then all of a sudden you might have a game on your hands in the iron bowl a couple of weeks ago we all thought that auburn was going to play alabama really tight or had a decent chance to win that game alabama fran- Al- alabama fans were all on the edge of their seats freaking out that that was going to be another doomsday trip to jordan hair i still think it can be that they just have to get a running game going that's the key so i'm with you if they can start running the football the passing game becomes a lot easier the problem is they can't run the ball they can't run the ball against yeah. air
4: I think that I think that uh, after what, what Bo did in that Arkansas game, I think that got the Bamers pretty puckered up about about coming over to Jordan Hare. But uh, you know, he, he goes down. I don't I just don't see him being scared of T J. But you know, who knows, like you said, you go up there and, and you wax him and uh that might change her mindset a little bit. But uh guys, I appreciate y'all taking my call, man, War Eagle.
2: War Eagle to you too. Really
1: appreciate the phone call, Travis. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to dial. I think he made a fantastic point there. This coaching staff prepares well. They script things well, very well, actually, I think, with Mike Bobo early. And it's very difficult, it seems like, at times this season, for this coaching staff to kind of maintain their game plan whenever the other team adjusts. And I think that there have been times this season, though, with Derek Mason where he has adjusted in the second half when his game plan has not been going well. This last weekend was, was not one of those games, and it was to the tune of about 40 unanswered points so I'm just really hoping Auburn, from a coaching staff perspective, is able to clean things up this weekend and they're able to come out of the gates playing well and they're able to finish the game playing well. It's going to be a really tough ask, especially with a backup quarterback a night game in a, on, the, on the road in a hostile environment with a team that really wants to get to six wins. It's going to be a tough ask, but like we've been talking about all show so long so far I think there's such a talent gap between Auburn and South Carolina that the opportunity may present itself to where Auburn can script a good enough game to get out with a win
2: you know there's some real evidence to show how good this coaching staff is at preparing and writing a script from an offensive perspective because look at how fast they started against Arkansas look at that first drive masterful and Auburn got up in that game, I think, 14-3 at one point. They started the Ole Miss game fast, got up, I think, 14-3 in that game. They started the Mississippi State game fast, got up 28-3 to in that game. They started the Georgia game fast, I think, from an offensive perspective. They didn't yeah. score, but also look at the opponent. They moved the ball down the field, and if John Samuel Shanker doesn't drop the touchdown, Almer goes up in that game 7-0 to right off the bat, and maybe the script plays out a little bit differently, or maybe the game develops out a little bit differently in that first half we've talked about that a lot i mean you can look at a lot of games this year Auburn got up on penn state three to zero, First drive produced points auburn has produced points on their first drives a lot this season or at least early in the ball game they, be, they have been able to put up some points they drove the ball down the field against AM on their first script they didn't finish the drive but you look at several games this year a lot of games this year auburn's been able to start pretty quick it's only been a few games where they actually haven't on offense so that tells you that the script it's working. The preparation is working. They have just been unable to sustain that momentum for the span of an, an entire ball game. And the reasoning behind that, I, I think my best explanation for why Auburn hasn't been able to sustain that momentum for an entire ball game is the running game. And that's why I'm kind of happy that Travis went there. Auburn can't run the ball for anything right now against anybody. They had an okay game against Ole Miss, but I don't think that they sustained that in the second half hence why they only scored three points in the second half once this offense turns to the necessity of the running game it has not been there it's not they don't have you back right now the running game does not and the passing game has been I think pretty good I even think that the passing game was doing okay through the first quarter and a half of the A&M game but then A&M realized that Auburn wasn't committed to the run and they weren't running the ball effectively so the pass coverage got a bump from dropping more guys into coverage. Once they realized that at D-line, that they could stop the run with four, at that point, the passing game was going to struggle. So the passing game, I think, is actually – I mean, you look at the stats. Auburn's averaging over 250 pass yards per game now, and the numbers keep going up on a week-to-week basis. They're actually throwing the ball pretty well before Bo got hurt, and maybe TJ will be able to pick that up and keep it going along. But if Auburn had a running game right now, you'd be able to sustain that momentum for the entire ball game – And right now, when they have to fall back onto it, because that's still the base of the offense. They tell you that every week. The base is they want to establish the run and work everything else off of that. Well, the script at the beginning, it's very balanced. It's 50-50, and everything's working because the defense doesn't know what's coming. But after you get off that script, defenses know, hey, these guys, at the end of the day, if we stop the run, we unfurl the whole game plan. And at this point, Auburn has not been able to figure out how to run the football. And until they learn how to do this, this offense won't be able to finish ball games.
1: It's definitely a concern of mine heading into this weekend, Is even though South Carolina's defense, the statistics may reflect that they have been prone to giving up a lot of rushing yards in SEC play so far this season. I just don't know if I trust this Auburn football team to go out and actually run the football well. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of my biggest concerns, and like you just mentioned, Noah, a really good point there if they can't run the ball, what else are they going to be able to do? Because a lot of what they try and do offensively is going to stem off of trying to establish the run. So it's definitely a concern for me. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. I personally, like Christian said earlier, I don't believe that Auburn's going to be able to run the ball in this game. Because again, like I mentioned in, in games past where Auburn was expected to do so, they weren't uh, able to do it. We've got about three or four minutes left here in this final segment. Do you do you have any making headlines to? Uh, we we normally do making headlines in this segment. Do we do we have any headlines to get to, Noah?
2: Let's do one and then let's hit some more on the other side of the break. So I got right. one right here, and we will start it with latest bowl projections for Auburn. And these bowl projections have Auburn playing a variety of ACC schools. Honestly. The bowl projections didn't shift a whole lot from Auburn losing to Mississippi State. Over on Montgomery Advertiser, Bennett Durando went and compiled all of the different bowl projections from the different sites. A lot of them have Gator Bowl versus Clemson or Gator Bowl versus North Carolina. The one that has Auburn play North Carolina would be CBS's Jerry Palm, who also happens to be the bracketology expert for CBS. So he's basically their post-game projection es expert maybe if they would cover college baseball he'd do that too but right now just mainly college football and college basketball um espn has auburn going to the gator bowl against clemson that's from kyle bonagura but mark Schleyball has texas bowl against iowa state 247 sports as brad crawford has duke's mayo bowl against virginia tech and then athlon sports has gator bowl against clemson so you look at it auburn clemson is a trending bowl matchup at this point and honestly i think both of these teams i don't know who clemson's last two opponents are i know they play south carolina i don't know who their opponent is this week honestly i think for sure they both beat south carolina i think auburn beat south carolina and i think clemson beat south carolina I do not think Auburn beats Alabama. I don't know who Clemson's other opponent. Lance, can you find that real quick? They play at home against number 10 Wake Forest this
1: Saturday. They are currently loss. a 4.5-point favorite over Wake.
2: Yeah, ridiculous. That's a loss. Wake's going to outscore them. I think it could be an entertaining game, but I have respect for Wake to be able to win that one. I don't know if Clemson's going to be able to find the points, and I think Wake should still be able to hit about 30. I don't know if Clemson can hit 30 on them. But then again, the Wake defense is is bad, so maybe it'll be... A good game i just don't see the four and a half point favorite is clemson at home clemson
1: is at home and then also something else interesting to note justin ross who uh, who broke his foot just a couple of days ago has officially announced he is uh, going to the nfl so he is not coming back to clemson so yeah, clemson they are they are officially without wide receiver justin ross in this game
2: and they've been so unimpressive on offense that it hasn't really mattered the opponent that they've played it's been a them problem mm-hmm. and i don't know if I'm not ready to commit and say that Auburn's running game is going to fail against South Carolina. It's definitely an Auburn problem because they really haven't been able to run the ball against anybody. They haven't been able to run the ball against air, but they weren't terrible against Ole Miss, and they did break off a couple of big runs. Bigsby had a good game. South Carolina's right there with Ole Miss in terms of run stopping, so I wouldn't be shocked if Auburn's running game was sufficient enough to provide enough support for T.J. Finley to be successful. That's why I think Auburn wins this Saturday. I think they will be able to get enough. It won't be awesome. It won't be more than 180, I don't think. But 150 is enough support for T.J. Finley to be successful if he can get the ball out of his hands quick, if he can make the right decisions. And I think they're going to try and simplify some things for him in the passing game to where he's not going to be able to fail. South Carolina's just not a good football team. Auburn's talent's going to win out at the end of the day. It may not be... 40 to 17 like we're all wishing but i think auburn can win 24 to 10 something like that and win handy enough to where we're not sweating bullets at the end of the game and where it'll be two touchdowns and we know that the south carolina offense isn't good enough to score at the end of the day to be able to win a tight ball game like this but that's kind of my take right now on bowl projections is that auburn's going to beat south carolina clemson's going to beat south carolina wouldn't be shocked if clemson loses to wake forest and then Auburn's going to lose to Alabama, so they'll finish out about the same. I think they'll both finish at seven and five. Maybe Clemson will finish at eight and four. Can't remember what their exact record is at this point, but I think they've already lost four games this year. So you end up sitting with two seven and five teams, and that sounds like a Gator Bowl to me. Clemson currently
1: seven and three. If they lose to Wake, then they would be seven and four, and then you're looking at that South Carolina game as a a, a potential potential game to either put them at seven and five or eight and four. So Auburn and and Clemson would be hovering around the same record and I'm going to be honest with you because of how inept Clemson is on offense I know they're only giving up about 15 points a game but because of how bad their offense is I mean that could be an interesting matchup for Auburn if they do uh, if they do meet each other in a bowl game
2: and I think Auburn's defense is good enough to bottle up that offense because like you said it is inept the passing game is bad if you think Auburn has had issues with running the football. Likewise, Clemson has had enormous issues throwing the football with whoever they put at quarterback, whether it's Ungalele or Pumachan. They have issues on that side, and it really simplifies what you're able to do to stop their running game, because you can stack the box. You don't have to respect the passing game. That would be an ugly football game. It would be a classic Auburn Clemson game that we've seen over the years, because I remember in 2016 it was really low scoring. And that Chick-fil-A bowl way back when when Tuberville was still the head coach. That was a really close ball game, relatively low scoring. It's going to be a classic Auburn Clemson game. And then you think about 2017, that one with a 13 sack game. That one finished like 13 to 6. It's going to be one of those games if those two teams played in a bowl game. And I wouldn't be shocked if those two teams get grouped together, but that is a winnable bowl game. I wouldn't be opposed to playing that. Now, North Carolina, one of the other ACC teams that we've seen linked up with Auburn, that is a team that I wouldn't want to play. They play really hard for Mac Brown. They've gotten progressively better as the season has gone on. And I'm going to tell you, Sam Howell, although he has not had help from anybody on that offense, he still plays hard. He can run the football effectively, and he's got a cannon. And if Mississippi State could dink Auburn, North Carolina could do it. So I would not want to play that North Carolina team from a defensive perspective. I think that would be a nightmare for Auburn. Now, Auburn would be able to score on them because North Carolina's defense is horrendous as well. It's one of the worst defenses in college football. But that offense, I think, could outpace Auburn at the end of the day, just like Mississippi State was able to do. So as far as ACC teams that Auburn has been linked up with, I would much rather play a Virginia attacker or a Clemson as opposed to a North Carolina.
1: Let's go ahead and take a quick break. We've got more of making headlines on the other side. Back on On The Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Travis calling in, giving his thoughts on Auburn right now. If you want to call in, give your thoughts on the Tigers as they go and play South Carolina later on this weekend. 334-321-1390 is the number to to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. We did not have time to get to all of our headlines in our Making Headlines segment. Noah, what's next?
2: Coming up next year, I'm going to turn this a little bit into coaching carousel talk because that season is heating up a bit, but Lane Kiffin, if you're on Twitter, Lane Kiffin is trending and it's not because he threw his play sheet into the air. He said, get your popcorn ready. It's because the rumor mill is beginning for him to Miami. Um, Slater scoop. This is from Andy Slater, a verified account on Twitter out of Miami, Florida. 23,400 followers slater scoop lane kiffin would leave ole miss for the university of miami if the hurricanes head coaching job were to open multiple sources close to kiffin tell me that is what i found on twitter as well as pff college football retweeted it that is also trending on twitter's main page like when you switch over to the search pane on twitter and you look at trending, that is trending. Like this is gaining a little bit of momentum. And folks are talking about it right now. And some people say there's no way that that's the truth. Other people, you know, are saying they could see it happen. And personally, I could see it happen. This headline originally started as Miami head coach Manny Diaz is focused on Virginia Tech as uncertainty looms over his career. Well, Miami's AD was ousted earlier this week. I think it was on Monday that he was let go that ad hired Manny Diaz clearly the University of Miami believes that changes need to occur in the athletic department if they just let their athletic director go is football one of those changes there's a lot of people not happy with the Miami program right now and there was a lot of momentum coming into the season after they finished last year nine and three they had a lot of talent returning Lance. I know you were super high up on this team. I respected them. I didn't think that they were going to be great, but I didn't expect them to do what they've done this year, which has them at five and five at this point with two winnable games. They play Virginia tech this Saturday and they play Duke to round out the season. So they should reach bowl eligibility and bowl eligibility was really in question about a month ago, but then they went on to beat NC state and racked up, uh, ranked win there and I think they beat Pittsburgh as well right yes
1: I I, I believe I believe that they did and right now you know you look at the state of the ACC Clemson is is having a down year but I'm sure they'll be back in the future but if you can kind of get if you're Lane Kiffin after seeing what he's done from an offensive standpoint at Ole Miss I mean I'm sure you can get some better recruits at the University of Miami that could be that could be a really fun division to watch with him in it
2: Well, think about where he came from, came from Boca Raton, Florida. It's not that far. It's right there in the shadows of Miami. It's in that part of the state. He's coached in that area before he knows the area. Well, and I'm sure he's got connections with the recruits in that area. Now he would have the brand. If he were to go to Miami, he would have the brand that is necessary to rope off Miami like it was in the eighties and in the two thousands from a recruiting standpoint. And he's a very charismatic dude. You're going to be able to get the athletes in that area to be able to want to come to Miami because of the scheme. And all of a sudden Miami becomes very dangerous because we know they have talent on the roster. They don't recruit horribly right now. It's not as good as it can be, but they don't recruit horribly. They get athletes, they get good players, they're just not being developed out, and they're not playing to the level that they should be and that many agree that they should be at the University of Miami. That's a division that's right for the taking. North Carolina's having probably their best stint of recruiting with Mack Brown, but they're still 5-5 five and five right now and having to rebuild out of a disappointing year this year. Virginia's up and down. Miami is up and down. Georgia Tech right now is irrelevant. That division is up for grabs. The Atlantic's the tough division because Clemson's there. And NC State can have a good year every once in a while. And apparently Wake Forest wants to be the top dog now. And Wake Forest has had a couple of bowl appearances in recent memory. They have not just come out of nowhere. They've been pretty decent. They just haven't been undefeated decent, right? The ACC is ripe for someone to take it over. And Miami is one of those teams geographically, culturally, and recruiting-wise that have the ability to take over the conference because we've seen it before. Don't tell me that it's not possible. This team potentially, this program potentially had one of the best teams ever to play college football back in the early 2000s. And they had some dominant teams back in the 80s and the 90s as well. So don't tell me it's not possible. It can happen again. And I definitely could see Lane Kiffin being the coach to do it. So I believe that he could go there if Manny Diaz is let go. And honestly, that probably should be Miami's top target. I don't know who else you go after other than Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal would be a pretty good connection as well into the South Florida area considering he coached at FIU at the beginning of his head coaching career. I think you could do a lot worse than Mario Cristobal as well, but those should be your top two targets. And honestly, I would choose Lane Kiffin over Cristobal because of the offense. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say is I think
1: offensively, and you're going to need that in this day and age, I think Kiffin brings a lot to the table, especially if they're able to get some athletes on the field. 30 minutes left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah
1: Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama making headlines here in hour number two of the show, talking about some coaching carousel news, some things coming out of Miami, some rumors spreading about Lane Kiffin potentially uh, being interested in the Miami job. And we've got some more rumors as well, Noah.
2: Yeah, the rumor mill is buzzing. And maybe I shouldn't call it the rumor mill, but things are trading about Michigan State at LSU right now. And Mel Tucker went on the record and said that Michigan State is a destination job, not a passing through location, not a place that he was looking at as a stepping stone, which maybe brings into reality that he is going to take that $95 million deal over 10 seasons at Michigan State, which you know that Michigan State isn't opposed to security because they held on to D'Antonio for a long time with disappointing season after disappointing season. And Mel Tucker was the beneficiary of that because as soon as D'Antonio is gone, Mel Tucker's the, the next guy in line. So I think that Mel Tucker is probably nearing that extension. And as you pointed out yesterday, you might as well go ahead and do it now because if you get shellacked by Ohio State, mm-hmm. is the vibe about you gonna be the same?
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what we were we we were we were talking a lot about Mel Tucker on on yesterday's show. And I was saying, I don't know if this is necessarily a good move for Mel Tucker. If it were me personally, I would definitely be weighing my options. But then we started to think a little bit more about it. It was like, well, if you're going to take an an extension, there's a lot of time pressure on making these decisions, especially with Ohio State coming up in just a couple of days. If you're going to take an extension for, for that much money, go ahead and do it now before you potentially get blown out, because the offer may not be the same after you lose that game.
2: I disagree with you, though, that I think Michigan State is going to write off a blowout loss to Ohio State as the program's not where we want it to be yet. Sure. It's not elite yet, but it's going to be one day because of what he's done this year. And I, and I think that's the appropriate way to look at it. But the unwise decision is to throw a $95 million bet on it, you know? Yeah, I,
1: I just don't know. If, you know, if this is the peak of Mel Tucker at Michigan State, right? I don't know if he's going to have a season that is more successful than this. Or if he's going to consistently be able to. Exactly. So it's just – it's a really big gamble uh, for for Michigan State, and we'll just have to wait and see what comes out of it. But what's come out of it so far is uh, $95 million into the pockets of Mel Tucker.
2: And you did a great job yesterday of examining that division – Because recruiting plays a big part in college football. And when Mark D'Antonio was having his best run at Michigan State, his best stretch of years, his division did not have Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State in it. There was that shift in the mid-2010s where the divisions flipped from legends and leaders to what it is now, which is the East-West format. And all of a sudden, some big boys entered into that division that he didn't have to deal with in the early 2010s the big 10 has not always looked like this it's only looked like this over the last seven eight years and there even was a change in the divisions since the starting point of them getting 14 teams or whatever they're at right now whether it's 12 or 14 yeah they're at 14 now it's tough and he's not recruiting better than penn state or michigan or ohio state on a, on a regular basis which is going to make it hard for him to finish higher than 4th in his division and so what you and I were talking about I don't know if we would say that this year is the peak but I would feel confident in saying that I don't expect him to do this year on a regular basis at Michigan State it would be more of a cyclical type of run for him where every two or three seasons or every three or four seasons he'd have a really good football team but in between that they'd be batting you know seven and five every year or eight and four which maybe michigan state's good with but i go back to the unwise decision feels like is the 95 million dollars where you kind of where you want to make your stand on that because you probably could have extended them without the 95 million dollars you know you didn't have to go that far you didn't have to go to jimbo fisher oil money or nick saban money you know because mel tucker i don't think has done anything to warrant that just yet but i think that he will probably stay at michigan state that's my feeling right now of course i don't have any inside information on the workings of what's going on at Michigan State but it seems like his name is trending less for LSU and other jobs and other names are trending up and of course Lincoln Riley's name came up at LSU yesterday.
1: I also, real quick, want to say about Mel Tucker. Maybe the reason that Michigan State threw that much money at him is because they understand that he is a prized possession in the coaching carousel right now, and they're just willing to take that big of a risk. They're like, well, these other teams are probably going to be offering similar amounts of money, so let's go ahead and throw this money at him. And speaking of similar amounts of money, like you just said, Lincoln Riley, it was announced earlier, I believe J-Boy was the one that said that he's heard this. J- the the, uh, the J-Boy show, Jake Crane said that he heard that Lincoln Riley has been offered uh, $96 million, I believe, for eight years from LSU. I don't know whether or not that is true, but it, it was talked about uh, on the uh, the J-Boy show, so I think it's definitely an interesting talking point.
2: And Bruce Feldman responded with that there's no way Lincoln Riley, or that he didn't expect Lincoln Riley to leave for LSU, that that wasn't going to happen. So Lincoln Riley's name trended a little bit there. I'm not buying it either. I don't think he leaves Oklahoma but here's the reality of it. Oklahoma's coming to the SEC, so we can't say that Lincoln Riley gets to benefit from playing in the porous Big 12 anymore. Which job is better, LSU or Oklahoma, with both of those teams being in the same division down the line? Like I imagine both of those teams will be in the same division or they will be in the same pod. I would imagine that would be the case or they will play each other on a regular basis. They're definitely in the same recruiting grounds. Which of those jobs is better?
1: I want to say LSU, but they're both very good, I think. I think you you can't – if you're choosing between those two jobs, you can't necessarily go wrong, I don't feel like. I mean, both those those teams, those programs, are going to be able to
2: benefit you in a lot of different ways. I think LSU right now has shown ability, maybe not with this year's team, but, I mean, from a historical perspective – they have shown more of an ability over the last few years to win in the SEC as opposed to Oklahoma. Oklahoma just lost by 14 to Baylor. They're on their second quarterback this season. They recruit great, but they recruit, you know, somewhere between seven and fifteen most years, whereas LSU is in the top ten every every year. And so from a player standpoint, LSU gets just as good of players as Oklahoma and Texas do. Those teams are gonna be in for a rude awakening. When they come to the SEC because it is not going to be a cakewalk like it has been year in and year out
1: I I agree but again I will say while I agree with you while LSU has shown the ability to get closer to to the playoff or to uh to a national championship I will say you know Oklahoma's been able to kind of make it out of the Big 12 I'm interested to see what they will look like in the SEC if they do get some of that extra money if they do get some of that Uh, is some of that ability to recruit some of these guys and I was talking about this earlier in the in the week saying well the 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 sales pitch for Oklahoma and for the for for Texas is come play for us we're in the SEC but I think there's still ground for teams like LSU and Texas A&M to say yeah we're playing in the SEC as well and, and we're better so the recruiting battles there I think are definitely going to be fascinating to watch so either way you know, it's a it's a good spot for Lincoln Riley to be in. I'll say that it's a, it's too, it's choosing between two two uh, really really solid programs.
2: And I think we've got a caller on the line with us as well three three four three two one thirteen ninety Matthew on the line with us. Matthew, how's it going today, my man? Doing well, guys.
3: Um, why is no one ever talking about Ryan Day? Do you think he's like a good head coach, or he just inherited a good program from Urban Meyer? Why is no one ever talking about him for these job openings?
2: Who'd you say? I'm sorry. You cut out there for a second. Which coach was it? Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Because he's at Ohio State, I think. But I'm with you. I mean, Urban Meyer was definitely the journeyman, which I think is what attracted so many people to linking Urban Meyer to a ton of jobs, because he only stayed at spots for four or five seasons. Six years maybe tops, because I'm not sure how long that run ended at Ohio State. It may have been like five or six years, but Ryan Day just never seems like he has any reason to go anywhere. He's got it made.
3: Well, I mean... How is
2: that any different than Dabo's Sweeney's situation? Than Dabo? Yeah. I don't think Dabo is wanting to leave for any job but one, which would be the Alabama job. And I'm wondering, with the way that this year has happened, not saying that they won't bounce back. Like, I think Dabo will bounce back, or at least based on the way that they've recruited, one could foresee that they will be an, a great team again in the ACC. But say Dabo does what he's done this year often like it happens again is he the most attractive candidate for the alabama job if jimbo fisher on a regular basis can finish second in the sec west like is dabo sweeney all of a sudden the most attractive option to alabama anymore this year has kind of put a little bit of a crack in that so i'm with you a little bit
3: but do you guys think ryan day a good coach or he just inherited a good program and he's just keeping it rolling
2: i think he i, I don't i don't think we know. Um, I think he definitely inherited a wonderful program, a program that's not hard to recruit. Doesn't have a whole lot of pressure from the other teams in his league. All of the other great programs in college football are nowhere near him. He recruits his region of the country easily, and he can go into the Southeast and kind of pick off guys that want to get out of there and come up there and play at Ohio state. So I think he's got it pretty easy compared to Alabama and Clemson and uh, USC and other major destinations in college football, right? Because, none of those programs are even near him and he just gets to go into their backyard and try and recruit them and of course urban meyer built it up for him and you know they've had some disappointing results since he's been there what has ryan day added to the ohio state program he hasn't been able to win a national championship he got there but it wasn't that competitive and many would argue that he didn't deserve to be there so i think it's fair to question whether or not he's that great of a head coach but he is sustaining things at least at ohio state really appreciate the phone call matt
1: 334-321-1390 is the number to dial if you want to uh, to talk about what's going on in the coaching uh, coaching carousel uh, going around college football? And yeah, I think Ryan Day is an interesting option, but like you mentioned, I just don't know if these these big time names at these big time programs. I mean, the question surrounding college football almost every single year now, it feels like, is what are these teams going to do outside of the Blue Bloods, and these Blue Bloods being Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and then Georgia, and then there's typically a fifth team like Oklahoma or some like someone like that mixed in. Looking at two of those teams that have really talented coaches in, in Ryan Day and Dabo Swinney, I just don't know if they want to leave their situation because their situation is typically getting into the playoffs. So I exactly. just don't know if I'm going to take a risk with a team like LSU and and say – I don't want LSU to come to me and be like, hey, come be our head coach because I just don't know if I'm going – I don't know if I'm going to take that because I really like what I've got going on at Ohio State in the Big Ten. I really like what I've got going on. Even if I'm Dabo Swinney in the ACC at Clemson, they might be having a down year now, but they're consistently getting into the college football playoff. So if LSU comes calling, if I'm Ryan Day – I don't know if I'm moving, honestly. Oh no,
2: you don't even think about it. Yeah, especially I think that's he is an untouchable in college football. Like you, you can't convince him to leave especially especially
1: like money is not a factor in this situation because i believe that if i if i do say something to the to ohio state i'm like hey these guys are taking a look at maybe potentially bringing me on let's renegotiate our contract it could just in the end at the end of the day be more money for for
2: for ryan day at ohio state ohio state can match it exactly he can, <laughs> you know, Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is look at the other major destinations out as i was talking about or at least the other teams that are making the playoff and Dabo at Clemson doesn't have any pressure around him in the ACC, but somehow this year still ended up being really disappointing with all of the talent that they have. But on average, Clemson's got an easy ride into the playoff And I think this year will probably, next season, be thinking, yep, last year was an anomaly. Probably won't happen again for the foreseeable future. Georgia and Alabama, though, they don't have it that easy. Of course, they recruit better than everybody else in the SEC, but they do have to go head to head with each other. And they do have to out recruit a lot of programs in their region of the country. The Southeast is a heavily sought after area for recruits. Alabama has to compete with Georgia. They got to compete with Clemson. They got to compete with Florida. They got to compete with Auburn. They got to compete with Texas. Is they got to recruit. Uh, they got to compete with LSU. They got to go against all these teams locally. Tennessee, there are a ton of teams with a lot of football history that are trying to recruit with Alabama. They fail because Alabama and Georgia end up with number one and number two every year in recruiting. But there's a lot more competition down here than at Ohio State or at, even to a degree, Clemson, with where they're parked at. But they have to come in to recruit into Georgia and Alabama as well to get some of their high profile dudes. But Ohio State has no recruiting pressure around them. They can leisurely stroll into the state of Georgia, offer a dude that they want, or go into California, do the same thing. They can leisurely recruit nationally, knowing that they're going to be able to lock down their pipeline like nobody's business. Because at the end of the day, in the Midwest, if Ohio State offers you, that is the destination. That is the destination, so they don't have to worry about guys in their area of the country going and taking their players. They don't, but they can go and snipe and take and steal some players down here in the South if those guys want to go up there and play at the Ohio State University, so it's a great spot for Ryan Day at Ohio State. He's going to be able to have a fast track to the playoff every year. There is no reason to go to LSU, which LSU is still a great job, but Ohio State is one of the best jobs in college football. Like it is an elite job in college football and Alabama, Ohio state. I don't even know if I'd put Georgia up there right now. I mean, Kirby's elevated elevated it to that level, but there's why, why would you go and subject yourself to the competition that you have to in the sec when you can be at Ohio state and not have to do that. Right. And Ohio state has won a national championship in the last decade. They've been to another one. Don't tell me it's not possible for them to win Natty's, it can happen and they're getting the players to be able to do it they have the athletes to be able to compete on the same field as the alabama and the clemsons and the georgias they do and you know Georgia's a great example to talk about why i don't even know why i'd want to go to georgia from ohio state because they've struggled themselves to even make and win national championships they didn't even make it to the sec championship last year you know they lost four games last year so i don't even know if you can like Ohio State is it's Alabama and it's Ohio State for the two best jobs in the country and then Clemson's right there with them as well I mean it it is those three jobs and I don't think that those coaches uh, I don't even think that those coaches would remotely even consider leaving of course not Nick Saban but uh there's one job that I could see Dabo leaving for and there are no jobs that I could see Ryan Day leaving for unless for some reason Alabama wanted him but that doesn't even seem like something that could happen but I really enjoyed that phone call. You can see how excited I got. Matthew, thank you for that call. That was awesome. I love talking about coaching
1: carousel stuff. It's a lot of fun for sure. And I think that, in, you know. I don't know if the question would be asked, but if if this question was asked, well, why would uh, why are we looking at potentially moving a guy from Michigan State to LSU if somebody from Ohio State wouldn't want to go to LSU? Michigan State is trying to survive in the exact same division of the Big Ten Conference that Ohio State is in, so it's there's definitely a tier level here. Like you were just explaining, like I was saying a few minutes ago, there's there's definitely tier levels here. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, you could throw Georgia in there. They are on their own playing field. Anybody outside of those teams, you know, when it comes to coaching carousel stuff, right, you just kind of mix. You, you can mix and match between coaches. So going, Mel Tucker going from Michigan State to LSU is not as far-fetched as Ryan Day from Ohio State going to LSU. Again, like you, we were just all saying, it's a much more uh, stable job, much more stable environment. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. And on the other side, we wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Really appreciate the phone call we had. And the question that was asked was, is Ryan Day good enough? to go coach at a place like LSU and Noah you were talking about it we were just kind of discussing here well we don't necessarily know if he would be willing to go to a place like LSU because of how stable his job currently is at Ohio State but we didn't really necessarily get a chance to dive into is Ryan Day a good head coach your answer was you didn't necessarily know that we have the answer to that yet what what are some more thoughts on Ryan Day?
2: It's funny how Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day's careers have ran parallel with each other. They both inherited programs from two of college football's greatest coaches to have ever coached the game, Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops. And of course, um, you know, both of those guys have some championship rings, have some championship trophies, and they both inherited programs that were really well built out. Now, Bob Stoops did it over about a 15 to 20 year period urban meyer did it over about a five six year period at ohio state but regardless the two programs were built out when they both took it and i had questions about lincoln riley when he took over at oklahoma because i was like well look yeah we know what bob stoops did but what is lincoln riley going to add to the program and i think looking at oklahoma he hasn't added anything Lincoln riley hasn't has ryan day added anything either he sustained it The only thing that he could add is if he could win another national championship, right? Lincoln Riley hasn't even been able to make it to a national championship recently, you know? At least Ohio State made it back to one. So I think Ryan Day is – I I definitely believe both of those coaches are good coaches. They are. They are good coaches. They are in the top-tier class of coaches in college football. I believe that. But are they as good as their predecessors? No. And are they – and I don't know if we can – really evaluate them in comparison to like Kirby Smart or Nick Saban because they didn't have to build programs up. And honestly, I think they're worse coaches than I, – I think those two are worse coaches than Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and Kirby Smart because all three of those coaches had to build up programs. The other two coaches at this point, they've just had to sustain it. And Lincoln Riley, look, man, I'm, he, he recruits better than everybody else in the Big 12 and he loses to Kansas State and Iowa State on a regular basis. All right. He just lost to Baylor by two touchdowns. I th- I, that, that's my answer about Lincoln Riley. Now, Ryan Day wins easily.
1: That's going to do it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you missed any of the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Tomorrow, we'll be making our picks for the weekend. Going to be previewing Auburn's matchup against South Carolina. Going to be uh, giving some final thoughts on what TJ Finley and the Tigers are going to be able to do. We will see you guys tomorrow.